Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you today. We have the privilege in just a little bit of having communion together. And I wonder if you did not get one of these communion cups, if you just hold your hand up. We have some gentlemen, they have uh, these cups, and they just want to hand them out to you so you can have those. So just raise your hand up high there, and they'll come, and they'll find you if you do not have one of these. Looks like everybody got one. Uh, There's maybe a few over here. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Well, uh, this weekend, I could take all our time this morning just to tell about what the weekend was for Sherry and I. We had 7th, 8th grade boys at our house, and we had an incredible time. But I guess what I would really like just to share with you about this weekend is that our leaders in each of the host homes that we had this week, for the most part, every one of them were children here at Heritage who have grown up and are disciples of Jesus, and they were the ones leading these young people. I would say that says a lot for you as parents, for Heritage Baptist Church, and for our youth pastor, Kicker, and how you have and had taught them to be followers of Jesus, because they were the leaders. We didn't have to go out and like go find other people from other places. For the most part, They were you that grew up here. And I have to tell you, I am very proud of those of you that are leaders watching you grow up in children's ministry. Some of you watched in the nursery a few years ago, a few years ago. Well, maybe a a little longer than that. But here you are leading. It was absolutely wonderful. I wonder if you will take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. This weekend, whenever we met together for when we were in the Word, we were in the book of Ephesians. And this morning, I don't want to wrap up anything. In fact, I hope you realize, and these young people, they've heard it a few times, but this is not a time where we're going to wrap up the weekend and then go about our business. In fact, you and I don't wrap up anything until we die. As a believer, follower of Jesus, we don't wrap up anything and like leave it there and move on. But you and I, this is a continual thing, right, young people? This is not wrapping up the weekend. This is like, hey, from here, we keep moving forward. In fact, it doesn't matter, young people or not, if you're a follower of Christ, this is not the wrap-up. This is like, hey, keep moving forward. In fact, if you do have your worship guide, I want you to look at what we put in there saying the big idea. I got this from Pastor Marty. Every Sunday morning in your worship guide, he has the big idea of the message. Here's the big idea of today's message from Ephesians, and that is this. God's riches frees us to live sacrificially. If you've ever read through the book of Ephesians, you know that it is all about the riches that you and I have in Christ. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the riches that are in Christ that are ours as followers of Christ. Those riches have been given to you and I as children of God that we can live sacrificial lives here on earth. And that's kind of the theme of what we will do this morning as we walk through these passages. The fact I want you to see that we are all on mission. In fact, Ephesians, if you will, chapter 2 in verse 10, I want you to just see this particular one as we kind of take off from there. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, We are His workmanship. For many of you, you know that this means work of art or a poem. 
It is a crafted design. God, it wasn't a happenstance thing. God had absolutely designed what he wanted for you and I. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I hope that you realize whenever Jesus is talking about good works, you remember what he said? Let your light shine in such a way that people see your what? Your good works and glorify God. Whenever Jesus and here the Apostle Paul is saying good works, he's not talking about just some nice little things that you and I do. It is about that you and I are followers of Jesus, and no matter if it's a big thing or we think it's a small, insignificant thing, but we are reflecting what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Whether we're at school, at home, young people, when you go home this afternoon, the good works will be that you're still patient and kind to your parents, even though you're sleep-deprived right now. And the deal is, those good works are all the time for you and I. They have to do with sharing the gospel with others. They have to do with living a sacrificial life as a follower of Jesus. Every day, wherever we go, doesn't matter where we're at, what time it is, that's what it is mean about good works. And so hear it afresh again, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk. Present tense means it is a continual thing that you and I, whether we're here on Sunday or Monday at school or wherever we're at, at again, whatever time, no matter where we're at, that we are doing these good works, that we are living out our life as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, the context of Ephesians, you know, that has to do with some of it about our marriages. And so in your marriage, that you are created for good works in your marriage. For those of you that know about Ephesians, it talks about being a parent and being a child, that good works would show up in your parenting. And young people and children, that good works would show up in how you obey at home and how you respect and how you honor. Hey, I just have to tell you, for those of you that have seventh and eighth grade boys, they were all gentlemen. And so for those of you parents, I hope that you hear that. They really were, away from home, they were real gentlemen. And I so appreciate that. I appreciate that about you young people as well. But you also know this, if you work for someone, if you're a student, if you're a child, doesn't matter whatever, that these good works, you're doing them as unto the Lord. And again, I just want to repeat, I will repeat myself over and over again, that kind of the theme or the main point of today's message is God's riches that He gives you and I in Christ, they free us to live sacrificially. And so if you will... If you will, start in chapter 1. I want to look at verses 1 through 3. And we're just going to walk through the whole book this morning, and I'm not going to tarry long. We're just going to kind of move through it and see some of these riches. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What's he saying? If you know Christ, 
If you have submitted yourself to Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, he is saying that you and I lack nothing in this world to do what he has called us to do. You lack nothing. I hope that you hear that. You lack nothing. It doesn't matter how you feel. In fact, I would say this. Do not lower yourself to live on your feelings. Don't live off your emotions. Don't wait for the feeling, whatever feeling that is, to come. The truth is, you and I, in Christ, have been given everything you and I need to live out what He has called you and I to do in this world. You don't have to wait around for some shazam thing to happen. He has given you and I everything that we need in Christ. I'm not going to go through it. In fact, I will recommend you can go online at Heritage OKC. You can go there and you can hear Pastor Marty preach through the book of Ephesians. And when it comes to verses 4 through 12, you go there and you hear one of the greatest explanations of these passages. But you know that verses 4 through 12 have to do with our salvation and it's the work of God on our behalf. In fact, if you've ever read verses 4 through 12, and I, I have to tell you, there's a lot of pastors who will not preach the first chapter of Ephesians because it's difficult and there are, that God's view of salvation is way different than a lot of people's view. In fact, some people find that it is so incredible that it's unbelievable what those verses say. And so to make it understandable, some people attempt to like put some human reasoning in there or some human workings and tell you that is absolutely dangerous. It is God's work of salvation and you and I's lives. And so I just want to kind of leave you with that to hopefully you realize that if you are in Christ, it was God's work 100% in your life, that you are a child of God. It is all His work. You and I have nothing to boast about. It is all His work. And because of that, I want you, if you will, go to verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, because what I want to do is because of this incredible salvation, what God, one of those riches He has given you and I, is in the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, all through the book of Ephesians, you see His working in your life and my life and hope that you see how rich it is to have the Spirit of God living in us at all times. Because in verses 13 and 14 it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. In other words, the down payment. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His name. Hear me. God doesn't wait until you die for you to figure out where you're going. In fact, there are some people who are truly followers of Christ, but yet they still kind of wonder, can I really know now? And yet God loves you and I so much that He made it possible that you and I could know that we have eternal life now. You don't have to wait 
until you die or you're on your deathbed that you realize where you're going. I mean, think about it. If you've ever doubted your salvation, you have no confidence. You don't uh, really share the gospel with anyone because you're not sure of it about yourself. You're not really confident that God is taking care of it. And so it's a constant battle of fear and no confidence. And yet 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I have written that you may know that you have eternal life right now. And so I, I just want to encourage any person in this room, not just young people, but anyone, if you do not have assurance of salvation, do not leave today. Because I've been there before. It is the most frightening no confidence thing that you can ever experience. And so you can have assurance of your salvation. And one of those assurances is this, that he has given us his Holy Spirit, that we are sealed, and it's a permanent deal. It's a down payment for you and I. And so you and I, we're not just saved, but we've been sealed by the Spirit of God. And then, if you will, flip over to chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 4. While you're turning there, Sherry, would you throw me my bottle of water? It's somewhere. Oh, man, someone drank it. Give me his bottle of water. Yeah, great. Oh, hold it. It's pink. Okay. Thank you. That's my wife's pink cup. Verse 2. By God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, you have reserved seating. In God's mind, positionally, you and I, as followers of Christ, are seated with Him. You and I, right now, we're living in this world, but we have reserved seating in heaven. Hear me, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been saved, you've been sealed, which is a guarantee of your salvation. You and I are seated with Him in heaven. If you will, go down to verse 18, chapter 2. Listen to what this says. For through Him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. The word access, it's an interesting word. It's only used three times in the Bible. One time here, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. You can either turn there or hear it. Here's another way it's used. It's used elsewhere. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. It's the word to be able to speak freely to God. As a follower of Christ, not because of anything you and I have done, but because of being in Christ, you and I have total, unhindered access to God. You don't have to go through somebody. You don't have to pray through some saint for God to hear you. As a follower of Christ, you have the unhindered access 
to God the Father. It's used elsewhere. Romans chapter 5, you can turn there or just listen, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Again, you and I have unhindered access to God the Father. I know you know this, but hear me. There is no time, there is no place, there is no situation that you and I ever get into that you and I at any moment can call on God the Father. And He hears you. He knows you by name. And He hears when you cry. In fact, there's some of us in this room, and you know what I'm talking about. There's been times the words don't even come. It's just in your heart of hearts that you're crying out to God. And yet He hears you as plain and as clear as if you just vocaled it out loud. You and I have access to the Father. Here's what's interesting about how Paul laid out this letter. Because right in the midst of all these incredible truths that the Spirit of God has made possible, he says this, if you will, in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 30, it is a command. And so it's like, really pay attention. In fact, all of them you should pay attention to, right? But this is a pay attention to. It says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Aff- grieve, it means to offend. Whenever you and I sin, we offend God. Young people, when we are disobedient to our parents, we offend God first, and we hurt and offend our parents. That's why David, when he committed the incredible great sin, not only adultery, but murder, he said, against you I have sinned, God. And yes, he did sin against Bathsheba, Uriah, all those others. But ultimately, when you and I sin, we choose to disobey, we offend God. We grieve His Holy Spirit that lives in us. And hear me, never get the idea that that means God goes and sulks in the corner. No, he is offended. And he goes on to say this. It's kind of like, why would you do such a thing by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption? In fact, I'll just give you this one. For many of you, you've heard this little statement. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. You ever heard that one? Well, I think what Paul is kind of saying here. Don't offend the Holy Spirit by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying, hey, don't bite the hand that holds you. I mean, the Spirit of God that is doing all these things in you and I's lives. And whenever we choose to disobey and sin, it's like biting his hand. We're offending him, the very one that is holding and caring and supplying for you and I. I want, for many, many people believe, hey, you can lose your salvation. Many believe, hey, if you bite his hand, you disobey, you've lost your salvation. You and I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. 
The Bible teaches that we have been sealed with His Spirit. We are seated in heaven. But we're His children. And when you and I offend and disobey, He will whoop your tail. He will. Wrath has been taken away for you and I. His discipline has not. In fact... If you believe you are a follower of Christ, and yet you can go on and on and on and not have his discipline, have his discipline, Scripture's clear, you're not a child of God. No child of God goes without discipline, whom the Father loves. And so he is saying, don't grieve the Spirit of God. In fact, I want you to see kind of the context of what he's talking about. If you will, in chapter 4, starting in verse 25, just kind of walk down through it. Here's a few of the things that whenever you and I do these things, they grieve the Spirit of God. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood or lying, being deceitful, dishonest in any way, telling half-truths. What does that mean? Which half is true? You know, telling lies, being false says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So put falsehood away because it grieves the Spirit of God. Verses 26 and 27 go together. Let's read it and walk through it. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Here's the first. Be angry. For you and I, we kind of think of like what we think of anger. This word for anger is more like a set determination. It is a a conviction. It is a being determined like this is something I won't do. This is something that I will do kind of no matter what. It is not the kind of anger that you and I think of. And so what he's saying is have some conviction. Have some set determinations in your life, but don't sin. In fact, you and I can sin With anything, it seems like. Hey, this is my conviction, but if we let it go too far and get out of balance, we'll sin. And so he's saying be very careful with whatever conviction, whatever like this is how I live my life. I'm going to live it according this way, uh, but don't sin. But then he goes on to say this, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's a different word for anger. This is the kind you and I think of being wrathful. Sinful anger that leads to giving an opportunity to the devil. In other words, whenever you and I lose our temper, whenever you and I get angry, we give Satan like a handhold, a grip. We give him a a loophole to grab a hold of because you know this. If you allow anger to go very long, it turns into bitterness And that turns into an opportunity for the devil to snare you and I. And so he says, don't do that. In verse 27, give no, oh, I'm sorry, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this is so many applications, but here's one. If you work for someone... It can be really easy at times to not give your full, your all. And so, in other words, you're stealing. 
When you and I work for someone, which is pretty much um, all of us, we work for someone. I'm self-employed. Well, you work for someone. You work for someone. Uh, I don't have a job. Well, guess what? You work for someone. Because you and I are to do everything we do as unto the Lord. And we're to give 100% no matter where we're at. You know, I, I read a deal one time that says there are some companies, they will not hire Christians. Because they have found that Christians sometimes just kind of loaf off. And yet you and I, in any and everything we do, we should do it as unto the Lord. And it could never be said that we're giving dishonest work. We're giving it our all. Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt talk or rotten talk come out of our mouths, but only which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. My mom quoted this all the time. And then later when I became a believer and started reading the Bible, I realized my mom was quoting Scripture because my mom would say, If you don't have anything good to say, what? Your mom said it too. Let no corrupt, rotten, tear-down kind of communication come out of your mouth. Only that which will build up somebody else and give grace. And the whole context of this is that whenever you and I are deceitful, whenever you and I are angry, whenever you and I are speaking rotten things, when you and I are not giving 100%, at what God has given us to do, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And so he says, hey, listen, I've just told you all these incredible things. I want you to make sure don't grieve the Spirit of God because he has a few other things. And I quickly want to walk through these. If you will, chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 18, you know this. It says this. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is indulgent. In other words, you lose control of yourself. You're dominated by it. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Filled means that you are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the thing that follows is the exact same thing that follows Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 that says be filled with the spirit and it says this it says it both in same passages that whenever you're filled with the spirit whenever the word of Christ is filling your heart these things follow you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord you're giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is what? You're speaking truth to one another. You're encouraging one another. You're submitting to one another. You're doing this in your home. You're doing this in your marriage. You're doing this as a child to your parents. You're doing this to whoever is an authority over you at your work. You are being submissive to them, but ultimately you're kind of looking past them because you realize that ultimately you are submitted to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He not only tells us this, but if you will, chapter 6. 
In chapter 6, verse 17, it says this. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You and I have been given everything you and I need. You and I have been given the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. But I hope that you kind of hear this. You know, a Roman soldier would have two swords. They'd have a huge one, a big, they called a broadsword. And whenever they went out to battle, they pulled that thing out and they started welding it around. But as the battle got closer, you couldn't swing a big sword around, so you would usually drop it. And then you'd pull out your second sword, which is this word. It literally is dagger. Because now you are in close, shoulder-to-shoulder, back-to-back combat. And your big sword's not going to help, but you need to pull out, pardon me, your small sword so that you can be really specific in how you're waging warfare. What does this mean? This means you and I have given promises and commandments all through Scripture that are specific to specific trials and temptations that we have. You and I, it's not just enough to go like, I've read through the Bible in a year. What it means is you and I, whenever you and I have a particular besetting sin, or we have something that weighs us down often, is that we go to the Scriptures and we find specific promises and commandments that we use. I'll give you one. Fear is a big one for me. In fact, I'm kind of afraid to drink out of this pink cup because I don't know what you think. It doesn't matter, right? Anyway, but fear's a big deal. And did you know, though, all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, in one way or another, it says, do not fear, do not be afraid. It's said over more than 365 times in the Bible. What do you think that's saying? It's saying for every day, don't fear. And Scripture is full of promises. In fact, I'll just give you a couple. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. One that I memorized years ago, dealing with my fear. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us. In other words, what does it matter who's against us? If God is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. I'll give you one last one. In 618, it says this, that you and I are to be praying at all times in the Spirit. We're to be a praying according to God's Word is what it means. You and I are to be asking the Father things that pertain to what will best please Him, what will fit according to His character, what is best. We're praying in the Spirit. And I just have to tell you, in the context of this, having a battle or wrestling not against flesh and blood, this praying is like breathing. 
I've told you the story before, but when I was in high school, I ran track and I wrestled. I don't know if that's the right word. Wrestle, wrestle, anyway, wrestle. And the thing is, we ran in both of them. But did you know we ran more during wrestling season than we did track season? I thought, what's up with that? I'm like, I thought I was done running. But you know this, when you're in a fight, when you're in wrestling, if you box, you do some of you guys do some martial arts, you know that if you get winded, you're done. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that you should always pray and not faint. I wonder what that means. It means you and I, when you and I are not praying as we should, we're holding our breath. And you will not get very far in this life as a follower of Christ if you're not breathing right. In other words, if you're not praying right. So I say all these things, I hope you realize this, that you and I have been given everything in Christ Jesus we need. Your salvation, you've been sealed, we're seated with Him, we have access to the Father. He lives within us and He fills us and He gives us strength to do what He's called us to do. He's given us His Word that at anything that comes our way, we have the Scripture to be able to combat it. And at any time, we can pray to Him. So what that does for in my life personally, it causes me to realize I am safe and secure and I'm supplied with everything I need to live a sacrificial life. I've done this uh, illustration uh, many, many times uh, because it actually happened to me, but for me it really illustrates what I'm talking about this morning. Because whenever you and I realize that we are safe and secure... That means we can live sacrificial lives. So this story goes back uh, several years ago. Sherry and I used to take young people, we'd take them rock climbing and then rappelling. And so rappelling, if you've never done that, what it is is you get a, a, a rope, you call it a lifeline, and you go somewhere where there's like a cliff. And what you do is you want to find, uh, honestly, where we always went, you wanted to find the strongest tree, the most reliable tree to anchor it to. And so here's what you do. You would actually, when you're up on the cliff, you're finding the most secure thing you can anchor your rope to. And at a place that we went to, a lot of times, there was a particular tree that um, it was secure. In fact, for years, we repelled and we used that anchor and so whenever you know that you're anchored to something that's not going to give away, that gives you a little security, right? Then what you do is you have this harness on. In fact, this particular, it's called an eight ring. You kind of manipulate this rope through this thing, and you hook it to a harness that you're on. Then as you go down the side of this cliff, this is your lead hand, and then you have, oh, yeah, by the way, you want to make sure your rope goes all the way to the bottom. All right, if you ever do this, all the way down. Because it's not the fall that's going to kill you, right? You know that. Sudden stop. So the deal is, and this is your brake hand, and so you go over the side of the cliff, and because of the friction that is in this eight ring, you can just go down the side of the cliff as slow or as fast as you want. Well, when we would go, we would always have three ropes. We'd have two, and then the one in the middle was one that I always used. No one could use this rope. And this rope 
was there in case someone got in trouble, got tied up, got scared and freaked out or whatever. Because we're on a hundred foot cliff. And so we're doing all this. And there was one young person that they got all tied up. And about halfway down the cliff, they were stuck. And so what do you do? Jump! Or you don't do that, right? And so I get hooked up to this, the middle rope, and I go down, and I get right beside this young person, but there's a problem. The problem is I've got both hands that I'm holding on to my life with, right? How am I going to help this young person? Well, at the bottom, there's a guy, and his name's Wendell, and Wendell, I say, hey, Wendell, on belay. And Wendell takes the end of that rope and he pulls it tight and it binds the rope up in this eight ring. And I can, because I know I'm anchored to something that won't give way, I know someone is holding and I can let go both hands. And there I am on the side of this cliff. And I can give my full attention to helping this young person. By the way, this young person is Wendell's child. Wendell's not going to let go. I'm helping his child. And we get this young person all untied and we get down safely. You and I are to live our lives in such a way we're not holding on. Because when you're holding on, you're not given how you and I are to live life. You're holding on to some dream. You're holding on to some career. You're holding on to some like athletic venture. You're holding on to an education that is like going to get you somewhere. You're holding on to your health. You're holding on to who knows what. But hear me, every one of those things can be taken away from you. There's one thing that will never be taken away from you. Your salvation, you've been sealed, seated in heaven. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've been given the Word of God. You and I have access at any moment to pray in the Spirit. You and I have been sealed. We're secure. We have been supplied with everything we need to live a sacrificial life. No matter who you are, what you do in life, doesn't matter what your work is, doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not, it matters if you're a, a school teacher, it matters if you work in a factory, it matters if you're a stay-home mom, it matters if you're a young person, you're still at home, if you're a child, if you're a follower of Christ, you have everything you need to live the life God has given you. And it comes at no better time than to be able to stop for a moment. Because Jesus said, you and I to stop. And we're to consider the greatness of the salvation we have in Christ. It matters not if you're a member of heritage or not. To have communion together, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have trusted Christ alone for your salvation, this is for you and I to do. 
this is something that we stop. And Scripture tells us we're to stop and we are to consider ourselves. In fact, in 1 Corinthians it says this, A man or a woman must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. And so what he is saying is that before you partake, remembering what Christ has done through his shed blood and the breaking of his body on the cross, you and I are to stop and to consider. In fact, just to make it real simple, it would be to stop and consider, have I grieved the Spirit of God? At this moment, do I know of known sin, entertained sin, besetting sin that I have not taken seriously and dealt with. I have ought against a brother or sister or someone in my family that you determine, like, I have done this. I, I, I need to. In fact, you might not feel like you can do this this morning until you make it right with whoever that person is. Or you're not walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And you realize, well, at this moment, maybe I can't. But here's the thing about this. is 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess, if you agree with God that this thing offended Him, and you agree He's faithful and just to forgive your sin. So I wonder for a moment you would bow your head and you would close your eyes. And for a moment, you would examine your heart. One of the things you might examine is, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? I'm not talking just young people that have gotten to experience this weekend. This is to anyone who hears. Am I in Christ? I mean... Am I sealed? Have I been seated? Do I feel like I have access? Does the Spirit of God fill me and control my life? Is it real? Did it ha has it ever happened? Your examination this morning might be the Spirit of God is saying, you're not in me. But the wonderful truth is you can be. You can cry out to God. Even now, realizing that apart from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the wrath of God is still against you. But yet, to ever who calls on the name of the Lord, trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, rising from the dead, you can become a child of God. I wasn't even in church. I was in the mountains in a cabin, and it was midnight. I realized I was not in Christ. You know what I did? I rolled out of my bed and got on my knees, and I still remember what I prayed. God, I know a lot about you, but I do not know you. Would you become my boss? You even now. If you realize you're not in Christ, can cry out to God. Here's the wonderful thing. He will hear you. He will hear you. If you call out in faith, trust in what he has done, he will make you his child. And you can.
ask God, search our hearts, help us in these moments to look, and honestly, any of us as your children can only say this, if it were not for what you've done, I couldn't live this life, I sin every day. And yet, you said, if I come and confess, you'll forgive. And you don't throw me away or put me aside because I failed. But as your child, you keep me, you hold me. May that break our hearts, break my heart. When I sin, I offend, I grieve your spirit. So God, I pray that you help us this morning to determine if there's others we have failed and we've offended, we'll purpose in our hearts, we will make that right. Or we will deal with our sin even right now. And that's what you'd love to do if we'd call on you.